Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. We're gearing up for the second spookiest season of the year. I hope you're well-stocked with fear-inducing tales. On the plus side, I only just realized that our episode releases on Christmas Eve. What better way to ring in the season than with some terrifying tales around a crackling fire? Also, as we make our way toward the end of the month, Keep your ears, uh, peeled for a guest host or two. I'll be relinquishing the host seat for a couple episodes to some familiar voices. I think it'll be a frighteningly fun and festive way to ring in the new year. So, stay tuned for that. And once again, your weekly reminder that Tales to Terrify is open for submissions. Dark disturbing, and downright deadly fiction. You've got it. We want it. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions, of course, has everything you need to know. And a quick update for you amazing patrons, too. For those of you frighteningly fabulous folks who support us at $10 or more a month, we've got an excellent pack of goodies headed your way shortly. I'm just waiting on a few final touches before sending them your way. And with any luck, fingers crossed, they'll arrive sometime around the holidays or shortly after, depending on the mail. That means, for anyone who wants to get in on all the goodness, you've still got a little bit of time. But don't wait. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify. 
Speaking of patrons, this week I'd like to shine an eerily flickering spotlight on one of our newest patrons, Natalie Ironside. Thanks for joining us behind the veil, Natalie, and lending your shadow to the darkness. We appreciate it more than human words can say. Now, what say we dive into some darkness? We have one tale for you this evening, which comes to us from Amanda Cecilia Lang. Amanda Cecilia Lang is a horror author and aspiring recluse from Denver, Colorado. As a die-hard scary movie nerd, her favorite things are slashers, 80s nostalgia, and a fierce final girl. Her stories currently haunt several podcasts, including The Other Stories, 13, and Creepy, as well as the anthologies Night Terrors, The Year's Best Hardcore Horror, and Dread Machine's Mixtape, 1986. You can stock her full body of work at amandacecilialang.com. Just don't be surprised if she leaps out at you from the shadows. Children of the night, join me for Amanda Cecilia Lang's The Clover Cafe, a Tales to Terrify original. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Consciousness returns several seconds before Sam opens her eyes. In this brief and cottony haze, she can still pretend. She's home in bed, buried in blankets, stretching luxurious bones while the house stirs around her. Footsteps on the stairs, kitchen cabinets banging open. Any minute now, Claire's gonna smack her with a pillow or spray a whipped cream flower on the tip of her nose. 
Wake up, nerd, it's Waffle 30. She can practically smell the hot butter and cinnamon. They'll pig out on the couch and watch their parents' ancient stash of VHS movies all throughout the morning, quoting the cheeseball dialogue and snickering into each other's shoulders. Sam in her ratty UCLA sweats, and Claire with no makeup and those goofy blue bunny slippers. And gasp, what would the cool kids say? Luckily, Claire's brat pack friends won't be around to judge. Sunday mornings are just for sisters. Best hours of the week. Laid back, cozy, and it sounds like rain today. Even better, with a lazy smile, Sam opens her eyes. Claire stares back. Half-lidded, vacant, face bloodless and doughy, one cheek scrunched against grimy floorboards. Claire? Overhead, rain patters against an unfamiliar roof, the relentless tapping of 10,000 fingers trying to get inside Sam's head. Lightning branches outside a broken stained glass window, flash illuminating the splintery innards of the church and the pickaxe lodged in the back of her big sister's neck. Claire! Sam's mind throbs. She tries to sit up, but the last three days pile back in, crushing her with the weight of corpses, literally on top of her. The entire brat pack pins her down, sagging limbs and torsos, Shawnee, Bree, Jake, and Claire. A surge of nausea rises from Sam's guts and exits in a scream. She lashes an arm free. If she can reach Claire, maybe one of them will wake up, a jump scare in her bed like the old movies they watch every October. But Claire is real, and so is the tender, cavernous gash in Sam's temple. Her hand comes away red. He thinks he killed me. She remembers now, her one semblance of a plan. Stay under the bodies where he left her, play dead, pray for help to come. Not that any prayers were answered this weekend. Over the rain, another noise rises, scraping, urgent, the grave work of a shovel. He's out there. Oh, God. She whimpers, shrinks smaller. She wants to lie here, stay buried, be buried. What's the point without Claire? Claire was the fighter, the one who stood a chance, the one who helped her survive this lonely life. What else is there now but to sink into the floorboards and wait for oblivion? Claire stares at her, observes her spinelessness with dead marble eyes, practically imploring her. That fucker can't get away with this. Everything hurts. Her head feels gooey and soul-drained, but Sam shoves out, dislodging herself, sending corpses lolling to one side. Oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry. She wanted them out of Claire's life, but not like this. She was gonna steal her away to college. They were gonna be roommates. And, and now... Sam limps past their bodies, past the altar to the broken window. The bones in her right ankle crunch hideously, so she stands on her left tiptoe and peers out. Gravestones haunt the driving rain. Vengeful angels, winged demons, and at the center of it all, the animated hulk of the priest wields his shovel, digging five graves. Sam turns away. The church is a dilapidated husk full of weapons, razor shards of stained glass, iron shackles bolted to the pews, toppled candlesticks and crucifixes. But something in here is much deadlier. I'm sorry, she whispers, and yanks the pickaxe from the back of Claire's neck. The body lurches, then slumps to the floorboards. 
Don't think about it. Just go. Now. For Claire. The front door releases a splintery shriek, but the rain is too loud, the rhythm of his shovel too satisfying. He doesn't see her staggering through the mud, savage determination twisting her once gentle face. The fucker. She'll only get one chance at this. With a silent scream, Sam raises the pickaxe and swings. It's really coming down out there. Even at full throttle, the windshield wipers can't keep up. Might as well be driving this old rig at the bottom of a lake. With a sigh, Big June flicks the switch for her chicken lights. The 18-wheeler's mounted high beams blaze to life and cut through sheets of passing rain. The road beyond remains a spectral gray ribbon. A lesser driver would have pulled over miles ago to wait out the storm. Not Big June. She cranks the gear shift and hammers down on the gas. There's a pickup scheduled for 3 a.m. sharp, less than 15 minutes away. Big June never misses a pickup. Lightning splits the night with a flash of day. The rain turns white, and on both sides of the highway, the desert reveals itself. Hard-baked terrain melting into rivers of mud. It's been a while since she's been on a run in these parts, and never in the rain of all things. But she's not surprised. Her line of work lends itself to the middle of nowhere. Backwoods roads, sleeping neighborhoods, gone-to-seed summer camps, sometimes all in one night. No GPS signal way out here, but she checks her mileage, getting closer. She pops the CB from the cradle, more dead air. Typical for these runs, but force of habit keeps her honest. Come back, home base, this is Big June. It's getting greasy out here, but I'm coming up on the pickup site. ETA, three minutes. We'll radio again once I'm all loaded up. Please stand by. She recradles the CB and looks up as a young woman dashes into the road, stark white in the high beams, bedraggled and waving a pickaxe. No time to stop. A second before the splat, the figure lunges sideways out of the lights. With a yelp and a prayer, Big June pulls the brakes. Air hisses, tires wail. The rig skids into a 50-foot stop. Holy good God. She isn't sure if the poor soul made it until she catches her in the side mirror, running the length of the trailer, screaming for a ride. Three minutes early. But Big June smiles. She never misses a pickup. Sam doesn't remember climbing in. She's chasing the rain-drenched brake lights of an 18-wheeler. Then she's in the passenger seat. It's that sudden. The interior swims around her, tracers of light from the dashboard, patter on the roof. She drips all over, rainwater, tears, cries of animal anguish pouring from her mouth. The driver kneels next to her, blurring in and out, a grandmotherly thing, small-boned, long silver hair, and an oversized trucker hat with a four-leaf clover. She drapes a blanket over Sam's shoulders. It's okay, sweetheart. Big June's got you now. You're not alone. Just breathe, but it all out. But Sam's mouth is too full, the last three days too unending, everything trying to spill out at once. All she sees are Claire's empty eyes. Call an ambulance! Sorry, sweetheart. No signal out here. You know that. You don't understand. They're all dead. Please, my sister! Shh! I know, I know. A hand settles on Sam's arm, achingly warm. Right now, we have to worry about you. Tell me now. This is important. Did you get the bastard? I... Sam's fingers cramp around the pickaxe, startling her. 
She didn't even realize she still had it. The steel point rests against the dash, gleaming and bloodless. The rain must have washed away the hair and bone and... Don't think about it. Don't. A sick chill spreads through her. Feels like a scream. I had to. Of course you had to. The woman tucks a sopping strand of hair behind Sam's ears. By the looks of you, he had it coming in spades. He was going to bury Claire. Claire, the name comes gently. Your sister? Sam starts to nod, but ends up hunched over in her seat. She moans and cradles the pickaxe, Claire's final gift to her. She can still feel the sword and stone resistance as she wrenched it from her neck. Oh God, oh God, I just left her there. Sweetheart, I know it's awful, but I need you to sit back up. Your cut's still gushing. Sam shakes her head, but the air shifts as Big June guides her upright. There's a soft tug as the old woman tries to slip the pickaxe free. Don't! Sam recoils, jerking the weapon away. Big June puts her hands up and sits back calmly on her haunches. That's okay, sweetheart. Hang on to it if it helps. A first aid kit sits open at her knees. No sudden movements, she produces a roll of gauze and antiseptic. Just a kindly old woman. The priest was kind at first, too. Okay if I fix you up a little? Sam resists, but only in spirit. She shakes, racked with an all-over sob, as Big June dabs the meaty parts of her temple. The antiseptic stings, but the woman's words are brutal. She tells Sam she's brave, she's strong, she's gonna make it through this. It's not right. Sam can still see Claire running from the church, the shape of the priest as he filled the candlelit doorway. How will she make it through anything ever again? Stay with me, sweetheart. Big June says from the driver's seat. Sam blinks, her vision unblurs. Outside, the road streaks past, wet and silver in the headlights. When did we start moving? She touches her temple, surprised at the bandage. Where are we going? She sits up straighter. I can't leave her. Somewhere they can help, Big June promises. Just down the road. No, Sam's fingers tighten around the pickaxe. There's nothing out here. We hiked this road for a day before he found us. It'll be there. Trust me. Trust you? But the bone-heavy exhaustion pins Sam to her seat. The miles pass, fast and slow all at once. At some point, the rain starts to thin, and a hazy green glow appears in the distance. A mounted radio crackles with a distant broken voice. Big June, this is... Come back? That pickup? Big June snaps up the handset. Home base, this is Big June. That's affirmative. Just crossing out of this darn storm. Got you on my horizon. ETA, two minutes. Stand by. The radio voice responds, drenched in static, some code impossible to decipher. Tell them to call someone, Sam says. Tell them we need the police. They already know, sweetheart. I promise. Help is coming. Sam keeps one hand on the axe, one on the door handle. With the final mile, the storm lets up. It's almost as if they drive right out of it. Rain gives way to dry asphalt and a nightscape blanketed in moving fog. The green glow at the end of the road pulls closer and takes form. A cheery little building with a jukebox sheen and a flickering neon light. The Clover Cafe.
Big June turns into the empty parking lot. Despite the middle of the night hour, the place is open. Sam sees people inside occupying several booths and a long counter. Before she knows it, she's limping across the parking lot with Big June as her crutch, cocooned in a blanket, clutching the pickaxe to her chest. They pass under the buzzing green neon. The cafe door opens with a jingle, and the sweet aroma of a thousand sundaes engulfs her. Warm butter and cinnamon. Come in, Sam, the voice from the radio says. We've been expecting you. Wake up, nerd. First day of October. You know what that means. An M&M bounces off Sam's forehead. Eyes squeeze shut. She feels along her pillow, then pops the chocolate into her mouth. Three more plink off her head. All right, I'm up, I'm up. She smiles and cracks one eye. Claire stares back. Face screwed up, tongue twisted out, completely juvenile, irredeemably goofy. Sunday mornings are the best. Comfy clad, they shuffle down to the rec room, carrying plates of Claire's world-famous cinnamon butter fried waffles and bags of Halloween candy to honor the month. Claire plops down in front of their parents' sacred wall of VHS and selects three classics. She holds up the cover art for Sam's inspection. Which one first? a wooded summer camp framed inside the silhouette of a knife-wielding killer, a young woman terrorized in her bed by a bladed skeletal hand, a skin-masked maniac waving his chainsaw overhead. They all make her shudder, but Sam points. That one, it's got the best ending. Welcome to the Clover Cafe, Sam. We're so glad you made it. Do you prefer a booth or the counter? I... Sam squints against an assault of polished tile, immaculate countertops, shiny vinyl seats. The voice from the radio manifests before her as a trim middle-aged waitress in a pale green uniform. Neat red lipstick, vintage platinum curls. She lingers inside the heaven-scented entranceway with a menu and a sly smile. They call me Goldie. She steps closer. It's an honor to meet you. You're an incredibly brave girl. Sam shakes her head. An honor? It's okay, sweetheart. Big June nudges her forward. You're in good company. Miss Goldie runs this old joint. She'll have what you need. What I need? Like that ambulance she asked for? That cop car? Transportation back to a life that's been forever gutted? What's the point without Claire? Surviving makes even less sense in the light. First things first. Goldie loops an arm around Sam, helping Big June keep her upright. Let's get this wildcat off her ankle. I'd say a booth is in order. Sam sobs. You don't understand. Claire would have wanted a booth. She'd stretch her legs out the length of the seat and flirt with the waitstaff, order fancy desserts she knew they didn't have. All Sam wants is a dark corner, somewhere she can crouch into a ball and scream. This place was here the whole time? Customers dot the seats, amorphous bodies on the two bright edges of her awareness. They talk in late night voices, and somewhere, somebody goes on laughing. It's not fair. They've never watched someone they love slump to her knees. They've never been dragged away, reaching and screaming as the soul faded from her eyes. They shift in their seats and side-eye Sam's soggy bandage, and the pickaxe-shaped lump inside her blanket. Chin down, she asks Goldie for the bathroom 
in a voice about to break. Of course, how thoughtless of me. You'll want to wash off the night. Goldie and Big June help her down a hallway ending in two doors, both marked with the same symbol for women. Here we are, ladies' choice, Goldie says. And she produces a neatly folded sweatsuit and a washcloth, something clean and dry from the gift shop. Sam stares at the offering. With every kindness, it's harder to breathe, harder to trust. Go on, sweetheart, Big June says. All for you. Sam accepts the clothing, slowly, letting her blanket slip from one shoulder, exposing the smiling curve of her pickaxe. Like Big June, Goldie doesn't even blink. Hope you heard him good. Sam shakes her head. He said he was a priest. Do you know him? Not him, but we know the breed. Goldie and June exchange dark glances. Sooner or later, they come for us all. We were driving to California, Sam says, to tour UCLA, but now Claire, she'll never, will never. Oh, sweetheart, we hear you, we truly do. Big June squeezes her shoulder. It feels like these monsters take everything from us. But they don't, Sam, Goldie says. They don't. She pushes open a bathroom door, exposing a room of clean white tile. How about a little privacy? Sam nods, already unhooking herself from Big June. Go easy on that ankle, sweetheart. Big June lets her go. That bastard's done enough damage. Except that's where the old woman is wrong. The priest didn't crack Sam's ankle. Claire did. Anything at all, Goldie says, filling the doorway. Jaws taller. Sam turns to thank them to get them to leave, but a novelty sticker on Goldie's collar gives her a pause, a happy face, and the line, be kind, rewind. Above that, a faded purple scar snakes across the waitress's throat. Help will be here soon, Sam, she promises, closing the door. Sam twists the lock, then hobbles to the sink and sets the pickaxe on the counter where it's fast to grab. There's a mirror, but all it reveals are bloodstains and bruises. There's nothing vital underneath, nothing left of her. The congealed remains of her t-shirt and shorts fall away like scabs as she peels herself raw and naked. She fills the sink, but her hands hesitate and her gaze gets lost in the shimmering white-blue water. The priest gave them water. Their throats were dry and swollen, their skin sunburned from the endless walk for a gas station. He offered them freshly pumped well water in shallow silver bowls, one for each of them. Even then, Claire's brat pack had snickered. What a primitive. Dude doesn't even have working faucets. They should have been more concerned about the ghost town vibe, the mounds of fresh earth they passed in the churchyard, the muddy red stains on the vestments he wore. But they were so thirsty, and he promised his new congregation would arrive soon. Sam doesn't remember who drank first, only that Bree was the first to collapse. Hell came fast after that, faces doubling and blurring, bodies slumping to the floorboards, something in their water, nothing holy. Sam woke to Shawnee and Bree screaming. She tried to stand, but dizzy, sleepy tendrils pulled her back down, that and the shackle securing her ankle to the pew. 
Claire sat chained to the next row, terror elongating her face, fire rippling in her eyes. The church flickered aflame with candles. The first corpse of the weekend sat slumped against the altar. Eyeballs red and bulging, face a purple bruise, a golden cincture knotted brutally around his neck. Jake, the only male member of Claire's brat pack, maybe the only one the priest saw as a threat. That's when Sam started screaming too. Pleased, the priest stepped forward, dressed in ceremonial vestments and a ravenous smile. He appraised his remaining captives, their long tan legs and pretty faces, and pulled the vestments over his head. No need to disguise himself behind kind gods any longer. There was nothing ordained about this maniac. But he was their kingdom now. The sound of her own weeping snapped Sam back to the present, and the bright white bathroom reclaims her pulsing vision. She reaches for the washcloth, except it's already in her hand. The water in the sink ripples, dark pink. She blinks at the mirror. She's clean, scrubbed raw and breaking out in goose flesh, as if time sloshed forward while she was haunting the past. She drops the soggy washcloth into the water and presses a palm against her temple. Hastily, she dresses in the sweats Goldie gave her. They're a size too big and easy to hide in. Hugging the pickaxe to her chest, she limps out into the hallway. Nobody stands waiting for her, but the air is cruel with warm butter and cinnamon. She holds her breath as she creeps into the dining area. There you are, sweetheart. Big June rises from the nearest booth. Goldie appears at the kitchen door with a plate of waffles. Sam limps toward Big June, but as she does, the people turn in their seats to watch her, and the cafe finally pulls into focus. And Sam sees them, really sees them, Goldie's other customers. Young women with blankets and bloody bandages, smeared mascara, swollen lips, girls with bruises and stains, slashes and gashes, an entire slaughterhouse worth of injuries inside one little cafe. They gape silently at Sam, exhausted and broken. Sam gapes back. Who are you people? Oh man, now that's an ending. Claire reaches for the remote and hits rewind. I always forget what a beast that girl is with the machete. Final girls are so badass. Killer sure didn't see her coming, Sam says, crawling off the couch, feeling a little green. October is awesome, but intense. Inside the VCR, gears and wheels hum, spinning the tape back to the start. What's next? Claire considers the array of video boxes on the coffee table and sighs. I'm really gonna miss this. Sam's hand freezes over the eject button. Don't say that. It's okay to face it, nerd. Our Sundays are numbered. Maybe they'll be a little different. Sam hedges, and those world-famous waffles turn to rocks in her stomach. I mean, there's no way mom and dad are going to let us take their video collection to L.A., but we'll have Wi-Fi in our dorm, we can stream, and we'll bring a waffle iron or... Stop it. Claire nudges her with a bunny slipper. Hard. You know that's not what I mean. Sam knows, but... It's not too late for you to apply, she says. I can help you. We can take a road trip toward the campus. Once we see it for real, 
You won't want to leave. I know it. Snap out of it, Sam. Claire's smile goes flat. Seriously, stop fooling yourself with this fantasy dorm bullshit. College is never going to be my jam. Then what is? Bar hopping with your stupid friends? A different hookup every night? You want to be a waitress forever? Wow, tell me how you really feel. I, I didn't mean it that way. Sure you did. And it's fine. Let's face reality. You're my big sister. I'm not supposed to leave you behind. If you come with me, we can help each other. Study, party, like a team. And when did that ever work for us? Every Sunday morning. I can't move to California alone, Claire. Sure you can. You got accepted without me, didn't you? I mean, look at you. She chucks an M&M at the UCLA logo stamped across Sam's sweatshirt. You've been wearing that ugly thing since junior high. It's your dream. You were supposed to be there too. You're strong enough without me. You're wrong. Shut up, nerd. You're gonna be fine. Just remember the number one rule for survival. She slides the next movie across the carpet. When shit gets real, the boring smart chicks rise up and leave the foxy fun ones in the dust. The women in the Clover Cafe regard Sam and her pickaxe with tired empathy, then turn slowly back to their tables. There are so many of them, ravaged and damaged, hair and darkness in their eyes. One girl sits slumped over an entire pot of coffee, her high-necked nightgown hanging in ribbons. In the next booth, a blonde in a blood-matted wool sweater stares anxiously out the window at the neon parking lot and the rolling fog. Someone in the far corner cackles endlessly and tragically, while at the counter, another tormented soul clutches a blanket to her chest with an arm that ends in a bandaged stump. We're all survivors, Sam, Goldie says. Like you. Try not to stare, sweetheart, Big June says. But Sam can't help herself. There's something achingly familiar about these girls, like phantoms from a past life. Did the priest do this? They have their own monster, Sam. You know that. Goldie sets the waffles on Big June's table and steps back. Sit, please. You need your strength. Strength for what? Her head throbs. Her ankle burns. The scenery keeps tilting. To make it through this, Big June stands, and together she and Goldie guide Sam into the booth, forever unfazed by her pickaxe. Their kindness weakens her. Her axe arm slumps to the table, she loosens her fingers, but doesn't let go completely. They sit across from her with gentle eyes. What's next for me? Sam whispers, reluctant. The question spills past the night, past tomorrow. It bleeds into a thousand Sundays. It's different for everyone, Goldie says. Tonight, for you, help is coming. But only you can decide what you do with it. I don't understand. That's why we start small. Big June nudges the waffles across the table. I hear these are world famous, cinnamon fried. Sam's stomach crawls. Hunger is for people who still have sisters. These were her favorite. Tell us, sweetheart. Tell us about her. Tell us anything you need. She was, she, but there are no words. 
How do you sum up someone who was everything? Sam swallows a sob and shakes her head. That's okay. Maybe it'll help if we start. Big June sets her trucker hat on the table and pulls back her long silver hair. Her left ear is missing. There's lots of stories here tonight. We're the lucky ones, Goldie lifts her chin, exposing that ropey scar. I know that doesn't feel true, but there's one thing every woman here can hold on to, one thing that makes us very rare, but very important. Big June leans in. We got the bastards that did this to us. The two women replay their victories for Sam in low voices, stories of courage, of resilience, of overcoming the darkness against all odds. They tell her about the other survivors too, filling Sam's head with masked killers and relentless maniacs and all the impossible, beautiful ways these everyday girls took the bastard's head or burned them alive or simply kicked their asses back to hell. With every tale, Sam's mind spins faster, whirring round and round until she's certain she's heard this all before. Dread closes around her, icy fingers of deja vu. Out in the parking lot, the fog thickens and the first falling lines of raindrops glow green in the light from the neon sign. The storm is catching up with her. Sam's fingers twitch around the pickaxe. The clean steel head catches the light and winks. Her heart starts pounding. She takes a deep breath. He kept us in the pews for three days. Oh, sweetheart. Big June squeezes her hand. The first days were hot. Jake's body started to rot and stink. But on the third day, the rain came. Sam can still see him, enormous in the candlelight. He paced in front of Jake's bloating remains, raving about the stench, blaming the girls and their sticky bodies. So vulgar, so weak, so deserving of punishment. At first, the fury of the storm punctuated his words, but eventually the thunderheads outperformed him. The monster stepped down from his altar but only to baptize his trembling, sunken-eyed congregation. He removed their shackles, one savaged girl at a time, and took them into the rain. While he was outside with Bree, Claire sprung to life. I saw tools in the graveyard before. I'm gonna try and grab one. This is our chance, Sam, do you hear me? You gotta be ready to fight. When it was Claire's turn for the rain, she locked eyes with Sam. Be ready but nothing could have prepared Sam for the last five minutes of her sister's life. Even over the storm, the roar the priest let out shook the bones of the church. Seconds later, Claire burst inside, dripping rainwater and hoisting a pickaxe over one shoulder. She rushed to Sam's side, powerful and radiant. Shawnee and Bree cried for her help, but it was Sunday, and on Sundays, sisters come first. Show me your ankle, nerd. With shaking hands, Claire slid the point of the pickaxe into the shackle between the cuff and Sam's ankle. Do you know what you're doing? Saw it in a movie once. I love you. I love you too. But after I do this, you have to run. Okay, nerd? Run like hell and don't look back. I'll be right behind you. But she wasn't, Sam sobs. She stayed to help her friends and he came back and ripped the pickaxe away. And he... That fucker, he... It's okay, sweetheart, Big June says, drawing Sam back into the present. 
You don't have to say it. Not this part. But please, Sam, Goldie leans forward, a gleam of urgency in her eyes. Tell us how you ended him. He killed the others, and he chased me through the rain. It didn't take him long with my ankle. He dragged me back inside. What happened next? He slammed my head against the altar. That was it. He thought he killed me. He piled me with their bodies, and I slept for the longest time. I wanted to die. I wanted it to be over. Claire was dead. I wanted to be dead, too. If I was stronger, if I was Claire, maybe I could get up and fight. But then what? Claire messed up my ankle when she broke my chain, and I was still lost in the middle of nowhere. Even if I killed him, I was going to die out there. But then... But then I got up. You got up? Goldie and Big June lean in. The rain beats against the window. I took the pickaxe, and I... Sam's mind flashes bright white. The swing of the pickaxe, and then... Then she was chasing the brake lights on Big June's 18-wheeler. Someone screams. Out there! The blonde in the wool sweater backs away from the window. The cafe erupts. High-tension girls flock to the windows to get a better look. The blonde raises a machete. Another holds a crucifix to the glass. What's happening? At first, Sam misses it. Nothing out there but fog and rain and random cracks of lightning. Then, a hulking shape materializes inside the misty ether, stepping forward, moving with slow and sinister intent toward the cafe. That's the thing about these bastards. Big June slides her hat into place and stands to face the night. Sometimes they come back. The survivors line the windows and watch the spectacle of the shape lurking in the rain. What's he doing? Someone cries. Who is he? Can you see his weapon? This can't be happening. I won't survive a second fight. Several girls shout in agreement. Others want to rush out and brawl. Every voice rises up at once. Sam would cover her ears, but a dark certainty freezes her in place. The shape faces the cafe, waiting, watching, as if scanning a smorgasbord. It'll be okay, ladies, Goldie says, but a crack in her voice tells Sam otherwise. Does anyone recognize him? Big June sounds equally tortured, as if she's selecting a maiden for sacrifice. Nobody answers, but Sam's heart thunders. The shape in the rain produces a shovel. The girls cry out, but he doesn't come forward. He starts digging. His shovel should strike sparks on the asphalt. Instead, the rhythmic gritty sound of metal biting through grave soil fills the cafe as if blasted from overhead speakers. He's mine, Sam hears herself say. She slides from the booth and starts to swing the pickaxe over her shoulder, but her hand hangs empty. Her weapon is gone, vanished. My pickaxe! Who took it? Did you ever really have it? Goldie and Big June step backward, and their expressions conceal something terrible. Help is coming, they say, but she's beginning to think they're just blowing air. The shape of the priest and his shovel dissolve into the thickening downpour. Sam only knows he's still out there because his shovel is relentless. Digging and digging and digging. The edges of the windows fog over, 
and shards of moving color spread across the panes like a plague of stained glass, everything coming together and unraveling at once. Axe hand as empty as her future, head spinning, Sam starts to shout, He can't be alive! Digging and digging. He can't! I killed him! I... But the untruth in her voice is as sharp as the sudden jingle of the front door swinging open. The others cry out, and an unexpected visitor steps inside, dripping rain across the floor. A foxy redhead with blue bunny slippers and a stack of old movies. Hey, nerd, Claire says. Ready to go? How do you think they get home? How does who get home? Claire grabs the video from the VCR, making sure the tape matches the box, and then shelves it. The boring smart chicks, Sam says. After they decapitate the monster or whatever, 90% of the time, they're still stranded in the middle of nowhere, all by themselves. I don't know. They hitchhike. Some old lady trucker will find them. And then what? Go to some clueless police station? Some cold hospital to be poked and prodded? What happens when the authorities don't believe their stories? Their best friends are gone. Their lives will never be the same. Doesn't get more isolating than that. So what then? How do they figure out their futures all alone? You're overthinking it, nerd. Am I? We still talking about movies here? I don't know. Yes. Sam crosses her arms over her UCLA sweatshirt. Her big sister appraises her, seems to be deciding how serious she wants to spin this. The spirit of Sunday mornings wins out. If it was up to me, they'd all end up at the same shiny little roadside diner a meeting place for the sisterhood, every last boring smart chick to ever kick ass and live to tell about it. And the waitress who runs the joint will serve waffles. They won't be as good as mine, of course, but she'll listen to their horror stories forever and ever and Sam snickers. That sounds amazingly awful, right? Claire flashes a goofball grin. Lucky for you, nerd, it's all pretend. Claire stands in the doorway. Every survivor in the Clover Cafe holds her breath. Every heart misses a beat. Then Sam runs to her big sister. She throws her arms around her and squeezes tight. So, so tight. It's impossible. Claire shouldn't be here. But it doesn't matter. In this moment, every Sunday in history collides. They're a team. Everything will be just as Sam always imagined. Except Claire isn't hugging her back. The videotapes waterfall from her hand, and her rain-soaked body presses against Sam, cold and stiff. Lightning cracks the sky, flash illuminating the pickaxe protruding from her neck. Oh God, Claire. Good luck, sweetheart, Big June says. We truly hope you make it. Yes, Goldie says. Come back soon. Sam lets go of her sister and steps back, breathing through her scream. For a heartbeat, Claire remains upright. For a heartbeat, their eyes seem to lock. You gotta be ready to fight. Digging and digging and digging. The neon sign in the parking lot goes dark. All the beautiful, badass survivors nod at Sam and then sink back into their seats as the interior of the Clover Cafe flickers and dims. Final seats and polished countertops decay and dissolve 
into the ethereal darkness at the back of Sam's mind. Warm butter and cinnamon become a putrefied reek. This wistful other reality exhales a death rattle, and in a blur, Claire and Sam are all that remain. Them and the scrape of his shovel. Digging and digging. Claire topples forward, knocking Sam down with her. They land inches apart. The stiff weight of several corpses presses the air from Sam's chest, while Claire goes on staring. Face bloodless and doughy, one cheek scrunched against grimy floorboards. Her marble eyes implore Sam. Then she, too, fades into the dark. Out in the rain, the shovel stops. He's coming. No pretending this time. You gotta fight! Sam opens her eyes. That was Amanda Cecilia Lang's The Clover Cafe, as read by Sarah Mayra. Sarah Mayra is a native New Yorker who currently resides much closer to the Mason-Dixon line than she ever thought possible. When not spending her time with her husband and two teenagers, she can be found listening to horror podcasts or doing yoga to de-stress from listening to horror podcasts and living with two teenagers. Thank you, Sarah. Well, children of the night, the hour is late and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world, with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we chill you to the bone with more 
Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 